You're listening to The COVID Chronicles, a podcast from the Emory University Center for the Study of Human Health. Each week, a student from the Health and Science podcasting course interviews public health experts about the COVID-19 pandemic and the important intersections with nutrition, mental health, maternal health, and more. I'm Carolyn Christ, a health and medical journalist in Georgia who co-teaches the podcasting course. I hope you'll enjoy this series as much as I did. Now let's get started with this week's episode. It's just been reported. It's just been reported. It's just been reported. Black women's health matters. Black women's education matters. Black women's motherhood matters. Black women. Black women. Hello, I am Bryson Jones, and this is our podcast episode of Black Women, uh, our health, well, their health, on the color line, and it's... It's one of those situations that can be so painful to talk about. Not only because people are suffering and hurting materially, but the fact that we live in a world, we live in a country that is not comfortable with acknowledging disparities in the way that we should. In this particular podcast episode, it consists of three distinct segments that all lead to the same larger issues, larger outcomes. We are assessing what it means to be a black woman in education and understand the consequences of education not being delivered well to our little black girls, okay? What the consequences are when there are not enough black doctors, black women, OBGYNs, delivering black infant babies out of their mother's womb or out of a a black mother's womb. We were looking at black women in the eyes of diseases like cancer, heart disease, the list goes on and on. Are we misdiagnosed? Are we ever diagnosed? Are we diagnosed once it's too late? The perspectives here are shattering and just humbling in the world that we live in today. So I invite you in to learn and to heal as we all navigate the world through the lens, through the eyes of a black woman in health. 
specifically with this episode, we want to focus on young black women and the impact that they are able to provide in their local communities. Now, I have to first say that the original idea with the podcast is to frame, you know, a participant or an interviewee's life with the notion of health in mind. So my first interviewee, while she is not a um, health professional by trade, um, nor is that her formal training, I really want to hone in on how consequential her contributions are regardless. Um, meaning, um, she's in educational policy, just to preface. And as we all know, or maybe some of us don't, the very act of providing um, a better educational opportunity or equity is a step in the right direction in terms of better health outcomes for a black um, or otherwise underrepresented individual. Okay, and one of the organizations that we're going to discuss um, in her interview in just a bit is uh, Girls Going Global, which is an initiative that, on one hand, is helping you know young women of color get out of their native environments and travel the world and become um, you know worldly. Um, so this week on the podcast, I have the pleasure of a very special guest. Um, Not only is she a dear friend to me, but she is a Spelman College graduate of the class of 2020. And she has worked with Girls Going Global and achieved Atlanta for many years prior to her graduating. And I wanted to bring her on because she specifically now has an awareness of how critical it is to provide certain levels of education and resources to um, women of color, specifically black women and black young girls, um, and how consequential it is for their health in the long term to be um, truly catered to in a way that society typically doesn't. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you guys to Mariah Knight. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Bryson. Oh, it's it's certainly a pleasure. Um, So I guess my first question to you is, what made you start working with Girls Going Global? Well, um, that's a great question. So since I was young, I've always had a passion for travel. My mom has a PhD in international development, so it was always important to me that as a black woman, um, I went out of my way to travel. So, um, you know, through my brother, who's also a Morehouse graduate, I met Marquise, the founder of Girls Going Global. And so through networking, 
I realized that we had common passions and that's for providing girls of color, but specifically black girls with the opportunity to travel and become global citizens. So that's how, um, you know, I got joined in with Girls Learn Global. Now I'm on the leadership team and I specifically build the curriculum for the students in the program. That is so great. And I love the trajectory, the pathway between, you know, drawing the parallels between your family's encouragement and education leading you into the pathway to help others. So I think that's absolutely outstanding. So with that being said, from your perspective, where you are in life, what is, what is the most important issue or health issue plaguing young women or black women in particular? Gosh, it's so many, unfortunately. Um, one of them that I would say I'm really concerned about is heart disease. Um, a lot of black women, especially young black women, are dying young from heart disease. Now, this has a lot to do with, you know, just our community, the way that we eat, the things that we're eating, um, and also just our perception on what health is. And so that's a huge issue that I would say is affecting the black community right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure you will agree that stress is such a big part of that. And I, I just think, again, the mm -hmm. work that you're doing um, can take some stress off of these, you know, young women's parents, take mm -hmm. some stress off of them. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I know that your main domain is, um, or your goal is to be really strong in educational policy. Um, I know that you have your degree in international affairs, um, for minor in Spanish. And so you're really well versed in, um, policy on an international scale. So I wanted right. to ask you, what do you think educational policy is missing? I would say, and I know people throw this word around. But um, for one, intersectionality and also inclusion, right? So a lot of the times the people who are the policy analysts are making decisions for communities that they don't know. So like understanding that a lot of these health issues come from systematic racism and a lot of other factors is important. You can't say, oh, we're going to implement that, you know, the students take like the PACER test, for example, but you're not realizing that the reason why like, you know, little Asia is unhealthy is because she has to take care of her siblings when she goes home. So she doesn't have the time to truly exercise or even see the value of it. So I think that is what education policy is missing. The people who are writing the policies don't know anything about these communities or even care to know anything about these communities. Exactly. And I, I just think that is such a huge point that you've brought up is that, you know, they, there's not the level of care. Um, right. And it really leads me to my next question, which is how, how important is representation in volunteer work? Oh my God. I love this question so much. <laughs> I love this question so much. So representation is key. Um, representation goes beyond just, you know, a 
a black girl seeing another, you know, black girl in a position, but it, it makes other students feel like they have hope. So I like to use this example. Um, I've done volunteer work with a lot of refugees in Clarkston. And the first time I walked into IRC, one of the um, Congolese women, she started crying. And I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, I'm so happy to see a black woman who actually works for IRC. Because yeah. although I'm not Congolese, she felt a sense of familiarity. Like she felt like she could actually connect. And I wasn't just looking down on her. Like we were similar. So I feel like representation matters because although not all women are the same, not all black people are the same, it gives a sense that I at least understand bits and pieces of the people that I'm representing. So yes, I might not understand everything that every child who I will write policies for go through, but I'm aware and have enough vastity of the intersectionalities of the people that I'm serving. Oh, and that is going to be so appreciated because, again, sometimes that one connection um, is key to letting mm -hmm. you know that people are seen and that they, exactly. and that they feel seen, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so far, I know that, you know, it's early in your career, but I would say you've definitely done quite a lot so far. But as a black woman... Do you feel as though your contributions in your society and your work so far are valued? Or do you, what would you say about that? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. I think sometimes I don't immediately see my impact, but that's okay. You know, sometimes you don't have immediate impact on people. But I think that me even stepping into these spaces where I may be the only person, that in itself is powerful. So a lot of times I have to jump through hoops to prove myself. You know what I'm saying? Mm, so like yeah. even um, in being an international studies major, it's like, okay, why are you an international studies major? You're a black girl. What do you know about anything? Even though half of the people that um, these IS majors or these IS analysts are representing look like me, but whatever. Um, so I think the people who are also in my field sometimes don't value me, but the people that I'm serving value me. And I may not know the direct impact right away, but in the long run, I feel like I'll see it. Yes, I, I certainly believe so as well. And um, so I know kind of throughout high school and through college that you also did work with um, Achieve Atlanta, um, mm -hmm. which I think is a very important organization for education as well as the city of Atlanta. Um, in your perspective, what has Achieve Atlanta taught you about inequity? So Achieve Atlanta was one of the first organizations that I've been a part of that actually differentiate equality versus equity and I knew what equity was I understood it but seeing an organization actually like that's a part of their mission I had not seen that before um, because it's all good and dandy to say oh we're gonna make sure all make sure all students in APS have resources to go to college 
But if they don't know what to do with those resources, you're, it's still going to be a disconnect. It's still going to be inequitable. So that was the first organization that fully, they had the mission and they actually talked the talk. So beyond just education equity, Achievement Atlanta works to understand the root cause of the issues. A lot of times, a lot of students don't go to school because they have other factors. They may not understand, beyond understanding the importance, they may not have the resources, so that's money. They may not understand, you know, or know how do I even get to this college? I don't have a car. They may be taking care of the rest of their family. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so so much. Right. It's so many other factors. So I think Achieve Atlanta does a great job of understanding the inequity in education and actually coming up with solutions to dismantle that. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that you're a part of that and that, you know, you have not only um, the personal understanding of it, but you know what it's going to take to, you know, eradicate it. So, exactly. yeah. And so I just have one final question for you, and it's kind of an overarching question um, for you in your life and, you know, what you have done so far and what you plan to do. But I really want to know, what do you hope will be your legacy in advocacy work? Mm. That's a great question, and I constantly think about that. Um, Well, the first legacy is I want other black and brown girls to see that they can be advocates, that they can work in international relations, that it's not something that's far-fetched from them. I don't want it to be the norm that it's only one black girl in international relations. I want after I retire and after I leave this earth, that it's normalized. That people from all walks of life, whatever your background is, they have an opportunity to create change on a global level. Um, So I guess that would be my first one. Um, My first legacy that I really hope um, to accomplish. Yeah, and I love that simply because it shows that you're, you're not just trying to break the glass ceiling and then, you know, build another one. <laughs> you know, you're, you're wanting exactly. to break it and continue a pipeline of sorts. And I, I think that is all the more impactful. So, wow. I feel so enriched by <laughs> our conversation today. I really do. And I just wanted to, again, to thank you. Um, for taking the time out of your day. I know you're a very busy professional woman um, <laughs> to, to come interview with me. No, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, you know, we talk all the time, so I love these conversations. Of course. And um, I'm glad that other people are going to hear these conversations. Yes. So thank you. Yes, we can educate them all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Mariah. And you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. As I'm sure that we can now see, hearing her story, hearing her experiences really bode well for understanding 
exactly what the issues are, um, how they plague the community, and how she's doing work to mitigate them. I personally believe that she is someone who understands the intersections of several circumstances ultimately leading to the same result, which is health and well-being of the black woman or the young black girl. And I particularly wanted to touch on this in, in a society where we're currently dealing with a pandemic that's disproportionately affecting um, black and brown people as well as um, black, you know, black women, of course. And also in a world where we have black infant mortality at an all-time high as well as maternal um, mortality. And so these are concerns where advocacy clearly is necessary on all levels when it comes to the black woman and her body in the context of health. And it starts at a place of doing girls going global to, you know, show the worthiness um, to this black woman and show that she deserves to uh, coalesce into a different phase of life, a different level of the world. We then have the aspect of, you know, dealing with Achieve Atlanta, which lets a woman know that she can uh, pursue a college degree. She can be self-sufficient and she can take care of herself. Um, and that there's a level of advocacy that they're aware of very early on. So that when they, you know, get to the age of wanting to have kids or, um, you know, making other huge adult decisions, they now have a clear understanding of what advocacy look, looks like, um, what it is, and in some ways how to get it. Um, so I just believe that it's incredibly valuable that we were able to have Mariah on this week to really um, drive home our point of black women and the consequences of their lives at all times are a direct contributor to health. And I ultimately am hoping that this proved to be informative and useful for, of course, any black individuals or black women that are listening, but also to people who may not be fully aware of the steps that are being taken to better serve um, black women. And so I find that this is an incredible opportunity that we had today. Again, I'm so thankful for my guest, Mariah Knight, and I am so looking forward to next week. Um, our next podcast is going to be centered around um, distinctive wellness um, through the use of yoga and meditation techniques and what does it mean for a, a yoga and meditation space to be largely occupied by black women 
And so with that being said, I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, at the Jones Podcast, in health, you are always welcome. Coming up ahead. And what I may have felt was the best thing for me or made me most comfortable or was most healthiest for my child may be something completely different for another mother. Hello, everyone, and we're back. And I I want to preface this by saying that, again, our focus is is on black women, um, the plight of black women, and the eventual health of black women. And I think that, because originally I was going to interview three people specifically in a field of study, so to speak. Three people who would be, you know, consummate professionals and individuals who, you know, are working, so to speak, every day to, you know, purportedly improve the lives of themselves and their fellow black women. And I've definitely done that with my previous interviewee, and I'm hoping to do that with my last interviewee. Um, However, I wanted to take this middle ground segment, if you will, to um, interview someone who's also a close friend and dear to my heart, but she is also a black woman who is a mother and can strictly speak from the patient perspective as well as the motherhood perspective. And so I wanted someone who, you know, is not engulfed by any political correctness or skewed by, you know, the nature of, I guess, work and can just give me their lay experience. And, you know, her name is Marjorie Jackson. And I want to go ahead and thank her for being on with us today. And here is our interview. What or who provides you the necessary knowledge throughout pregnancy and motherhood? This is a two-part answer. Like most things in life, I feel the number one way to learn something is to simply experience it. There was nothing I could have read or been told by friends and family that could have prepared me for pregnancy, delivery, and postpartum, especially when my pregnancy in particular differed from the others around me. Motherhood is truly a journey that is extremely personal. Uh, For me, during my journey to motherhood was the internet. It provided me with information rapidly regarding pregnancy, how to keep myself healthy, and giving me information about ensuring a safe and effective delivery. It's also been helpful for postpartum and understanding what babies will have going on, especially little girls. And it's even helpful now, like, Right now, we're in the potty training stage, and it's giving me the best tips and advice to get my daughter to accomplish that goal. So, those two things, experience, so I guess myself, and the internet, 
are the two things that kept and are still keeping me sane. <laughs> Outstanding. What do you think is the most important issue plaguing young women or black women in particular? According to a study conducted by the Endometriosis Foundations of America, uterine fibroids affect 20% of black women between the ages of 18 and 30. And that number jumps to nearly 60% around the age of 35. The National Institute of Health annual funding only grants $17 million in funding for research for this condition, while simultaneously funding $86 million to cystic fibrosis, which impacts far less people each year. And of those people, the majority are white women. Additionally, their research also revealed that the majority of clinical trial participants for uterine fibroids comprise of 85% white women. So this is a condition that is disproportionately impacting black women, and yet you're researching mostly how it impacts white women, I find to be a little problematic and a huge waste of time and resources that ultimately leaves black women to deal with something they don't have enough information on to properly prevent or treat. Actually, in that case, black women are left in the dark. Leading me to my next question, what is health policy missing? If you were to Google health policy, you would find this explanation. Health policy refers to decisions, plans, and actions that are undertaken to achieve specific health care goals within a society. Black people, as well as all people of color, are a part of our society, yet so many of our issues are casted aside in favor of concentrating on white people. So if you ask me, it's missing an acknowledgement of non-white people's issues and health conditions that they will be able to make those decisions, those plans, and those actions to achieve health goals. I see. So in that case, how important is representation in healthcare to you? Well, it is extremely important to me personally. Having black doctors and nurses, policymakers, and having data and research on black people and other people of color can help make better solutions that can help everyone. The end goal is to make sure black people can get proper health care that can ensure safe and effective means to keep them alive. As a black woman, do you feel as though your concerns are valued? Oftentimes, I feel like it's easy to put black women in general in a box. That black women are difficult or aggressive, um, overall just challenging to work with. And so unfortunately, that transcends in every aspect of my life, whether that be school, work, day-to-day errands, and even in healthcare. I have personally been disregarded and dismissed by a healthcare worker at an emergency room who did not take an issue seriously that I had brought to their attention, that if I had not gone to another emergency room that was further away, I could have permanently lost my eyesight. And to make matters worse, when I went to the first emergency room and told them I had an issue with my eyes, they gave me a pregnancy test to take. Even though I disclosed, it would have been impossible to be pregnant considering I had not been sexually active at that time. 
the pregnancy test came back negative as expected then i was discharged from the hospital and was prescribed ibuprofen when i went to another the other hospital i immediately received a procedure that required an overnight stay so to answer your question my value is based on who i am voicing my concerns to wow what has black motherhood taught you black motherhood has taught me that some things are trial and error and that no one child is the same and therefore i am simply guiding my child to be the best person she can be while still letting her form her own identity to always put my children first and to reinforce unconditional love what do you hope will be different in the future as it pertains to your daughter's experiences with the healthcare system i hope that in the future i hope that in the future when it comes to my child and her dealing with healthcare that she won't be dismissed she won't be discarded like i was before um that she won't have the fate that many other black women face when issues are ignored because it is interpreted as an overdramatization of our experience a lot of people have gone home from emergency rooms being told that they have minor issues and they end up passing away there are many mothers who go and try to give birth and they pass away there are many women who pass away before they can even really start their lives it's rather unfortunate and those situations wouldn't happen if someone would just listen if someone would take the time to care to give health care these people are in need of a service that only a health care people and policies and everything else can provide and i find it to be rather disheartening that that is consistently overlooked and yet black women keep dying because of it and that's not enough to change anything and so i hope that my child never faces that type of discrimination and i will hope that in the future policies will change um that the way that people of color would be received in healthcare overall whether that be insurance doctors hospitals what have you that they can have the same customer service as someone who is not you know a person of color and that they can get treated and they can get help you know that's one of the biggest fears that I as a parent will ever have is having to bury my daughter due to another person's incompetence or another person's ignorance that's a legitimate fear and um i i hope that that would never be our reality wow again i want to thank marjorie for being here what a sobering tale of where we are in America, where we are with health care, and where we are with black women. I invite you and all to reflect on moments of where 
you could hold healthcare providers accountable. You see something, say something. If you're in an important meeting of what should be advocated for um, in a health system, in in a certain health environment, be that voice that contributes to a greater change. Again, this is Bryson Jones, and I will see you back here. We'll hear you back here, or talk to you back here in just a few. Goodbye. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. My mother, Lisa Kirk who is a cancer survivor and a black woman who has dealt with the healthcare system. So what is the most important issue plaguing black women? Important issue plaguing young black women is that young black women are not taken seriously when it comes to their health. With that being said, what is health policy missing what is missing from health care policy is equal health care for everyone regardless of a person's economic background so with this in mind how important it is to see people that look like you in health care as a black woman it is very important that i see health care professionals who look like me since I am a recent cancer survivor um, who battled stage three breast cancer. And I had always taken care of myself. I went for my um, annual screenings. I started going to um, screenings when I was about 32 years old um, because I had a first cyst after I breastfed my son. So, um, and then it, it just, now I just wonder, um, I've always wondered if I was taken uh, seriously about the, the recurring cyst in my breast and if I was actually being heard um, because I just wondered, you know, how, you know, I, you know, ended up with um, stage three breast cancer and wondered if all the available screenings um, were being offered to me. And then later finding out um, that I had breast, stage three breast cancer um, and wondered if um, I should have been given the option to have an MRI sooner. And I had an MRI only when, you know, it was um, determined pretty much beforehand that I had the, the stage three breast cancer. So I, you know, I just wondered, um, and I still wonder now if I was really being taken seriously as um someone uh who was not of 
African-American descent. As a Black woman, do you feel as though your concerns are valued? As a Black woman and a cancer uh, survivor of um, stage 3 breast cancer, I don't think uh, my concerns were valued as a person who um, was very uh, concerned about her health and went for screenings. I just feel as though, um, not that I, you know, got the diagnosis, diagnosis of breast cancer, but why was it at stage three when I had been going for screenings for years? And so I don't think my concerns were valued when it came to uh, my issues uh, with uh, my breasts, um, fibrocystic breasts and dense breasts. I just don't think um, my concerns were valued at all. I understand that you've dealt with fibroids and cysts in your breasts. Do you feel like these concerns received enough attention? I had been dealing with fibrocystic breast issues um, for about uh, a little over maybe 19 years. And I would just, you know, have them drain and I kind of, you know, just thought that was the norm, I guess, to have them drain and and uh, maybe get a biopsy a couple of times. But I just thought in the back of my mind, these things are continuously recurring. And I just, um, just wasn't um, comfortable with... Um, just having it drain and maybe having a biopsy, um, more com more um, just concerned that the cysts continuously return in my breasts, and um, just always wondered if something could have been done uh, differently. Maybe looking at the breasts uh, using another uh, form of diagnosing breast cancer even though I had ultrasounds I had um, mammograms um, and I wondered if um, the MRI I still wonder if that could have detected the breast cancer sooner um, and I wondered if the cysts were mistaken you know, uh, the, the, uh, the cyst diagnosis was, uh, misdiagnosed. Uh, and, and if the diagnosis could have been determined earlier. And so, uh, 
again, this is an issue where I don't think um, my concerns were valued. Ultimately, you received a diagnosis of breast cancer four years ago. You have recovered and you are in remission. Did you feel as though you were cared for properly during treatment? After I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2016, I was given excellent care uh, during the course of my treatment. And um, I had an excellent team of doctors who made sure that I had access to all of the latest treatment options for um, breast cancer um, and um, and the stage uh, breast cancer uh, that's in stage uh, three. So yes, I do feel uh, that the team of doctors provided excellent care. Ultimately, it is known through research that black women tend to have denser breasts on average. Do you feel as though it was a failure on the part of our healthcare system that you didn't receive a diagnosis sooner as your 2016 diagnosis showed you were at stage since, three? Since I was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, stage three, I do believe the healthcare system failed me uh, because I feel that um, I was not given uh, enough choices uh, to diagnose the cancer. I feel like the cancer should have been diagnosed earlier. Um, Given the fact that I had screenings for a while, um, and uh, so I feel the healthcare system should have had options uh, for women with a dense breast, not just ultrasounds, but maybe the given um, the option to get uh, MRIs, and I don't know what or when I, I did get one, but it was pretty much um, when I was already diagnosed uh, with the cancer. Um, it was just another step to diagnose the cancer, but I think a person like myself with dense breast and recurrent cyst in the breast, I think that an MRI and any other options uh, aside from the the uh, the uh, ultrasounds, aside from that, and the uh, biopsies, I think the MRI should be used in conjunction with that. Uh, again, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer and, um, had been getting screenings for years and only to find out, um, that I had a uh, stage three breast cancer. So, uh, 
I just think the healthcare system failed me. I think if MRIs are helpful in diagnosing breast cancer earlier, I think it should be definitely used in a situation where there are recurring issues in the breast. And as we can clearly see, and I would, I would you know, want to thank our, our guest for this segment, my wonderful mother, Lisa, we want to still reflect on how this is what Black women's health care, breast health care, all looks like in the realm of our current American healthcare system. So hopefully as we move forward, we start to center our conversations with these individuals being the voice rather than simply the numbers and the research. Cause it's very easy to do research and look at the numbers, but to fully have this firsthand experience is extremely valuable for us all, especially those of us who are considering ourselves to be public health professionals like myself. And while it's an understatement to say that this episode has not been completely consequential in changing my understanding of what's at stake when it comes to our black women, their health, their education, their plight in America. Just as I have invited you in to listen and learn, I I now invite you to go out and do the work, whatever that may look like. It could be advocacy, um, simply asking additional questions um, to be sure that, you know, the services you're receiving are the same as your minority counterparts if you happen to be of the majority. And for those who are minorities, to know that your best advocate is yourself and that there's always, there's always going to be one more doctor out there, one more provider, one more facility, one more location, one more. If we can just get to those one mores, they can make the key difference in whether our black women continue to live or die in certain circumstances. Thank you for listening to black women and their health on the color line. Thank you for listening to the COVID Chronicles. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, share it with a friend, and rate it on your favorite podcasting app. You can visit us at exploringhealth.org and follow the Emory University Center for the Study of Human Health at Emory CSHH on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, stay safe and be well.